calls us to proclaim his truths, right? Like that's one of the things that we have the honor of being able to do for our Savior, is going throughout and proclaiming that. And when we come together, like it says in the scriptures, it says, when you come together often, do this in remembrance of me. And so this is one of those times we come together as that body that he's called us to, and also that he's baptized us into, right, through his blood. What an awesome privilege it is to be with you guys, to be able to have communion together, to where we're going to proclaim his death. And his death is such an important part, isn't it? Without his death, we would have no salvation. Without his death, there would no, be no conquering of sin. And so praise God for that, because in his death, like Romans 6 says, that we get to be buried in the likeness of that, right? The old man is done away with. And what a cool thing. What a great thing to remember this morning as we take communion and remembering, yes, the old man has been done away with, buried, right? And now we've been raised in newness of life, and it's an exciting thing to say, here you go, Lord, you take everything. You have the will of my life. It is now your will. And you better hold on tight when you do that, right? It's an exciting thing. And so i just have you guys join me this morning. We're gonna, it's going to be a little bit shorter communion this morning. We have a lot to go through in Psalm 9, but... And just to focus, and, and let's take this time to remember and to focus on what the Lord has been doing and just where we are with him. That's why we have this time, and to come together and to be able to pray for each other as well. And so in Corinthians, when we come to this place, Paul's going through and he's correcting the church. He's telling them, hey, when you guys come together for these love feasts, you need to mind your manners, basically, because the guys were coming in there and just eating the food right away, and people were getting left out. And it was so sad that these guys were eating before, which I don't know if you guys have done this before, like you're going over somebody's house that they only serve salad to you, and you're like telling your wife, I'm eating some food before we go over there because I'm going to starve, and my stomach's going to be growling all night. So, But these guys were eating their food in their house, then going and eating at these love feasts, which these love feasts, a big part of it was they were sharing everything in common, right? So a lot of the poor people, this is where they would get their food. This is where the college students would go to eat, right? So <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> So what ends up happening is he has, to, he has to settle them down and say, no, you guys need to take this more serious, okay? The seriousness of it was to remember each other, that they're coming together to, to remember in this body that we're together. And the point of it was to remember and to proclaim what Jesus Christ had done, to continually just have that on their mind. It's a good thing to remember what our Savior has done for us. And we're even going to go that in our lesson later is just in the things that God has done. It helps us get out of a lot of things that our mind will take. And so if you guys want to read with me there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, uh, Paul is going back over the Lord's Supper and what he did with his disciples. He says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And so he takes this bread. This is something that was very common to them. They, they had this meal, you know, the Passover meal, the Sabbath. This was their time that they would sit down together and they would enjoy. But there were so many things that were showing the Messiah, the picture of the one to come through this whole meal. We know what the Passover stands for with, with the lamb and the blood put over the doorposts and the death passing over that. Not considering who was inside, but seeing the blood and therefore passing over it. Such a cool thing that every year they would go through. And now they have the actual lamb of God right in front of them. The one that the death will see and pass over if they accept him. Like, this is a neat thing, and now Jesus is going to institute something different with them, and he's going to go on, and he's going to continue what's already in front of them, and he gives them the bread, and he says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And so, Lord, as we come before you, we just want to thank you so much for what you have done for us, Lord, that we would remember what you've done for us. And as we come together, you know, even this morning, the first of every month where we get to praise your name and, and go through this, that we remember that your body was broken for us. It was put on that cross for us so that we didn't have to be. It's, it's unbelievable that you would come and humble yourself and come to this poverty and do that when we hardly ever will go and do things like that. Thank you for that example. Thank you so much that you love us that much. And thank you especially for your obedience to the Father and, and following through with what you were sent to do. What an awesome miracle you did in just saving us in that way, Lord. And so we do partake in this bread and just remembering you this morning, Lord. And so if you guys want to go ahead and take the bread. And then you can go ahead and open that next part. It gets pretty stubborn with that juice. I don't want you guys rushing on that. I almost spilled it over myself this morning. <laughs> and the next part he comes to is the cup. Now, the cup is a very important part as well. Both of these pieces are so important. I don't know. I wouldn't say this is dogmatic truth, but one of the things I've gone through the scriptures and researching is I wanted to know where Judas stood with this, right? So Judas, in this whole moment, he's there with them while they're doing this. And I've gone through every one of the Gospels and other places to try to find out, did Judas partake of the juice or the wine that was there? Did he partake of the cup? As I go through it, it's very interesting. It looks like all he did was he partook of the bread, because then it says in here, it says, and when the supper was done, then they, took, they drank. So it was like done in two different parts, and it looks like Judas got up and was go to, going to betray Jesus before he partook of this. Why I say that's significant, if that's the way it is, and I'm not saying, I'm not preaching you guys that this is exactly the way it is. I just see that this may have been, but it would kind of key into, look at Judas. He partook of the body of Christ, right? Like he was always doing these things. He even went out and did miracles. You know, he, he was given power. It was interesting. He was a part of that body of believers, a part of the disciples, yet he didn't ever take of Jesus' blood. Important. And I think it's an encouragement for us to ask, you know, have I partaken of this? And this is a good thing to proclaim and to remember and, and to be in that place of like, yes, it's so good to be a part of the body, but I'm here because of the cup because of Jesus' blood put over me. Now I get to enter into that new covenant of grace that Jesus has given to me through his blood. We know that covenants cannot be made without blood, right? The first one had to come through blood. Remember, Moses sprinkles all over the people, the sacrifice, and now Jesus Christ is over us. And what a cool thing that now death will pass us over because of this. And so he says in verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup of the, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant uh, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you guys would stand with me, and we'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll take it. And Lord, we are thankful for what you've done, and Lord, as we have this cup in our hand, just remember what you've done. You know, in that, that last part where it says, for often as you eat in this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And like, that's what we want to do, Lord, is we want to proclaim your death. We want the nations to know what you've done for them, the purchase you've gone through. Lord, I pray that in our own lives, it'd be a testimony to you and give glory to you. And we're so thankful that we get to have this cup in our hand, that you didn't walk away from it, that you fulfilled what needed to be done. And because of that, and how we get to have eternal life, Lord. And so we just want to honor and praise you and remember you. And so we take the cup together. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
All right, good morning, guys, again. Hope you guys had a fun time for your... Uh, New Year's Eve, we did. I was going to share a little bit. Maybe next time you guys will join us. Uh, we had a lot of people show up. We had a great time. Uh, one of the, my fun highlights of the night was uh, John and Kimla. <laughs> we played a game, a couple's game. And uh, the guy, each, each couple had cards in their mouth, playing cards. And the guy had to dip into a bowl of flour, scoop it up, and then put it on the card of his wife, 
right? And then the wife would take that and put it in a cup. It goes really well unless you laugh. <laughs> and it was going so well. And then John, you're awesome. <laughs> just all you see is white smoke. Poof. <laughs> Himless turns around and it's just white all over her face, which sets everybody else off. So you just see these white smoke going off everywhere. <laughs> So much fun. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Usually I get to do and torture kids like that with the youth kids, you know, see what I can get them to eat and things, but this is even funner with adults. So thanks for joining in. It was a good time. Yeah, we had a great time. So hey, happy new year. Welcome to 2021. I hear it's supposed to be better, but (laughs) yeah, right. Okay. I, we have no idea, right? It's like the weatherman. He doesn't really know either. So Psalms 9 is what we're going to be going through, but before we get into that, I want to give you guys some announcements of what's going to be happening. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to you that showed up on Saturday to help us take everything down. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, There was uh, quite a few that showed up. I was a little afraid because just Dave and Kathy showed up when when I came here to study, and I was like, oh no, looks like I won't be studying. I'm going to be helping, and then people ended up coming later. Um, so we're very thankful for you guys that showed up to do that, and uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, another announcement, On High Ministry is going to be having a mountain bike ride on the 24th, so we'd love for you guys to join us. That's going to be from middle school and older, and uh, I'm not sure what the terrain, how hard it's going to be. You guys can get a hold of Martin. He also said there's details on the Facebook page for the church, so you guys can check that out, but that's going to be on the 24th of this month at 1.30, and uh, I don't know where you're meeting or any of that. That's probably all there. Find Martin. He's, there. He's here this morning, and you can talk to him about that. It sounds like it'll be fun. So hopefully no jump trails. And you guys know I, I well, maybe you don't know, but I don't do too good with jump trails anymore. I learned my limits. But ripped my ear off. So it was crazy. Uh, February uh, 19th through the 21st. So we... Every year we try to get our churches together, youth groups in this uh, community, and we go and do a thing called Winter National. A lot of fun. Uh, Usually have 100 kids or so that are there and and about 30 adults. Love it. Look forward to it every year. We're unable to do it this year with the other churches. Uh, They are unable to. We're hoping that we could do it together, but it's not working out. We'll do it again next year, maybe when the things settle down. And so this year we're going to join up with Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel, and this is for junior high only, middle schoolers, and we're going to be going on a winter camp with them and it'll be an awesome time, and that is February 19th to the 21st. It'll also be the Bridge Kids, too, so I want to let you guys know, because you guys jump in, and you guys help out with scholarships, and so I want to let you guys know that that's going to be coming up. Uh, it'll be 115 per kid, and so if you guys would like to jump in and help us out with that, we'd love that. Uh, if you guys want to help and support a Bridge Kid to go, see Stephanie Diggs, and if you guys would like to see a youth group kid and help them out, see me. And uh, if you guys can't find Stephanie, come and talk to me anyways. We'll get it all worked out uh, where you guys want to send your support for those kids to be able to go. So it's an awesome time. I encourage that. I'm looking forward to joining up with Rocky Mountain. Uh, There's some good friends of mine. And so it should be an awesome year to be able to do that with them. All right. If you guys will turn into your Bibles to Psalms chapter 9. Psalm 9, or as our, I don't know what you'd call him, but he calls it Palmas. If you guys have turned to Palms. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that video. I won't say the name because I don't want to get political. Starts with a B and ends with an N, Iden. <laughs> Devout Catholic. <laughs> Go watch the video. It's pretty funny. As the palmist says. All right. Anyways, enough poking fun. 
Shouldn't do that. Shame on me. I think we're recording this one too. <laughs> All right. The title of the message this morning is, I will praise you. I will praise you. Now, last week we got to talk through, and we went through Psalms 8, which was awesome. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I did going through it and just getting to re- be reminded and have the right perspective of who God is. And that kind of in turn goes into this next one on how do we praise him? We want to praise him, right? And David gives us some key things. And, you know, what is he worthy of praise? Or why are, what is God worthy of uh, for our praise? You know, is, it, is he only worthy of our praise when we're at peace? Uh, is he worthy of our praise when we have joy? Is he worthy of our praise when we are blessed? And we say, yeah, well, absolutely. And those are the easy times to give him praise, right? But is he also worthy of praise when nothing goes right? I mean, nothing goes right, you know? You're working on that car and you're, you're about to burn it. <laughs> when, when you're in crisis, is he worthy of praise in crisis? And when you've suffered great loss, is he still worthy of praise? Well, we know he is. We know it. However, when we go through those times, it's very hard to remember that he's still worthy of that praise. Rather, we cry out to him, solve this problem, take it away, and not praise him. And David's going to go through and he's going to help us through this. He's going to be, and I love how he's gentle in the way he does, and he gives very much personal experience in how we do praise God. And of course, we would say he's worthy all the time, isn't he? He is so worthy. Because, and the reasons for it, and we're going to hit this a couple times this morning, if you guys can walk away with this, the reason God is worthy to be praised is because of who he is, what he has done, and what he's going to do, right? That's why our God is worthy of praise. Did you notice that there's nothing about us in there? (laughs) That's why we get mixed up. Sometimes we put ourselves in there, and that's why we have a hard time giving him the praise that he deserves. And so David knew this. And so as he goes through this time, he was in good times, he was in bad times, and yet he is praising the Lord. The Psalms are full of his praises when he's going through, especially those rough times. And so as we go through that, just remember, the reason we praise him is because of who he is, what he has done, looking in the past, and what he's going to do. So let's read to start off verses 1 and 2. It says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Lord, we really want to focus on just what it is to praise you, especially in hard times. You know the year that we went through, and, and some of us had very hard times to deal with, not just with the COVID and anything. We've lost people. Um, we've lost jobs. We've, we've lost comfort. We've, you know, maybe it's been a great time. It's also time to praise you. Um, Lord, we have no idea what this next year is about, but I pray that you would just educate us, that you would encourage us, um, teach us, Lord, exactly, that we would open up our ears to listen to what you have to say, and how we can praise you through the rough times, the good times, Lord, we just have that on our lips all the time. And so teach us through your word. I pray you just use me this morning um, and and say what you want to say to your people. And uh, we're so thankful we get to gather this morning even and uh, praise your name and come together and learn more about who you are and what you would like for us to do as, as your children, Lord. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. And so, how many things in your life are you so certain about? Okay, like things like, I will make lots of money. Maybe you said that when you were younger, and you, yeah. <laughs> I will make lots of money. I will have her or him as a spouse. I love those stories. You get to hear these stories every once in a while of, you know, the guy, wherever they are, they see the girl across the way, and they're like, I'm going to marry that girl someday. You know, and then you get to hear this cool story of how they pursued them, and it's all great. And then you ask them, well, now that you're married, they're like, yeah, I don't pursue anymore. <laughs> the romance is gone. I'm just kidding. 
Maybe I'm not. Anyways, but I love those stories where it's like they're determined. That's the person I'm going to be with, right? Or another one. I will drive one of those someday. I will drive one of those someday. Or another one is I will live there someday. So there's a lot of things that we're so certain about. We're determining. And I I really enjoy what David has to say here because what does he start out with? He says, I will praise you. So certain. I will praise you. I hope by the time we leave today that we can be as certain in that, that I will say, I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you, God. You're worthy of it. He's so certain in his life that he will praise God. No matter what will happen, he's going to praise him. He won't just praise him a little bit, too. If you notice that, look what he says there. He's like, I'm going to praise you, O Lord. And he uses that, O Lord. You guys remember we went over that last week? When uh, your Bible has L-O-R-D capitalized, it's referring back to the name Yahweh, or some people call it Jehovah. It's the covenant God. Like, I will praise you, covenant God, covenant with man. You've made your covenant with man with my whole heart. My whole heart. And that's a hard one. See, we have a half heart a lot of times because there's a lot of distraction that fills in that whole heart. When you have only half a heart, as Spurgeon says, that's no heart at all. We cannot use half of a heart in our own bodies, right? We have to have our whole heart. The same as when we praise the Lord, it's got to be our whole heart. That's how we praise him. That's what he requires from us is that praise with a whole heart. No double-minded, no distractions, nothing that's going in another way, no me in the equation. It's about him. And it is a hard thing, but David's going to go through and he's going to talk about in personal experience how he does this. He gives examples on what he goes through. And so that half a heart, you got to have the whole heart. How can we bring praise to God? Well, David demonstrates that next line. So this next line in, in verse 1, he says, I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will tell of all your marvelous works. There's the first one. David's going to tell of all of God's marvelous works. This is a great way of praise that seems like it falls through the cracks. Usually when I think praise, and especially when I was younger, praise meant I go to church, I wait for the music to cue, and I sing along, and hopefully they have words up so I don't have to say watermelon the whole time, right? That's where my praise is, and as I started growing in the Lord a little bit more, then I was like, you know what, this is important. I I probably need to pay attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth. And so it became like a prayer praise, you know, as as I spoke to the Lord through those songs, and I was like, wow, this is so good. I'm I'm being very responsive with God. Like, this is a good relationship between me and him as it grows. And that's where it kind of was, that's what I was stuck on is, okay, that's what praise is. I go to church and I pray, I I sing to him. And then it would get to where even now I would start playing worship songs at the house, right? And if you guys know my background or anything, I, I like punk rock and I like music that's fast. I like hardcore music, and so worship is a very hard thing, or it was, not anymore, but it was very hard for me to sit down and listen to some worship, unless it was to punk rock or to some heavy metal. (laughs) You guys are like, that does not make sense at all. I know, I don't make sense, but it's so good now I get to listen to this worship at my home, and I find myself even praising God when I'm at the table or wherever, and it's like, it's so good to see that, but as you go through the scripture, it's even more than that. It's even more, and so this first one is like, I am going to declare God's marvelous works, Focusing on what God has done. Such a good thing. What God does is so important for us to remember and to proclaim. So important for us to do this. It was refreshing uh, the other night when we were at the uh, New Year's Eve party. I was able to make a new friend there and just get to sit down and talk with some people. And uh, I was able to sit down with Dave and just going back over my life and what it was like. 
and, and before. And I, I hadn't done that in a while. It's, I, I like to talk about the good things God has done, but it's so good to remember all these unbelievable things the Lord has done in my life and my, my wife's life. The things that we've walked through is we've trusted in him. The crazy things that people told me I was a horrible father because I was doing that to my children and my pregnant wife. You know, and all these things, and I'm like, but God's called us to do that. And I find myself in these times when God's asking, you know, I'm, I'm waiting, like, what do you want me to do? Where, I'm so confused. What do you want over here? And I just need to settle down, remember, what did he do in the past of me? Like, he did unbelievable great things. And I know he's done the same in your guys' lives. Just got to stop and remember. And it's so good to sit down with a fellow believer and just go through and be able to praise God through the things that my personal testimony has to share, and also his. And whoever you're sitting down, guys, it's an important thing to sit down and remember. And in that, we are praising God for what he has done. We're looking to him. So think back on the wonderful things he's done in your life. Go back over his works. That You know, if you guys, maybe you're a young Christian, you don't have all these crazy stories, and you've heard of the Christians, you're like, wow, man, I can't wait to go through that with the Lord. And wherever it is or wherever you're at, you guys, we have a whole Bible full of amazing stories that God has done. We can even go back on these ones, right? And these are not fairy tales. These are not something that we go back on and say, yeah, this was a cool little story I used to tell my kids. There was this big sea that God parted, saved his people. They went through it. Guys, that really happened. It's a true story. If you guys want to go look up some stuff, there's even archaeologists that have found things now. They're trying to cover it up, of course, because Satan hates truth. But there's like a pillar that was on one side of the, of the Red Sea that they used to have, and it even had it written in Egyptian, and it was declaring something about water, and it was all broken and fragmented. But it had a, a saying in there that referred to Moses, had the water crossing, all these interesting things that they thought that this was set up there. And you can go through, and they, they found wagon wheels that they believe are wagon wheels in the bottom down there, and this natural bridge. It's a crazy thing. If you guys ever, if you want information, I can lead you to that. But it was a true story. It was not a fairy tale. Our God parted the waters, guys. I think it's so important because we think that's a Bible story. That's a cool thing that he did. He doesn't really do that anymore. He does it in different ways. And it's the same. Okay, what happens if our little, it's a creek right now, but if our river, right, what if we're out there and we're, we're having, a, say, a, a church baptism, and we're all sitting there, and all of a sudden the Lord just wants to show himself. He wants to show himself powerful to us, and he just stops up that, that river, just like he did with the Jordan when the priest needed to walk across. That would be a crazy story to tell. I mean, that water stops right in front of us, so there's no like, explanation of, oh, it must have something like a landslide up the river or anything, but right in front of us, he just stops it. I bet you every one of you guys would be out there proclaiming what had happened, right? That would be pretty exciting. But he does that all the time. There's all these rivers he's stopping up. There's these ways that he's making for us in our lives. We need to be excited about him again and give him the praise that he's worthy of, the things that he's doing, the things that he has done. And then when you can go back to the scriptures and look, guys, even if you want to go through and look at the two and a half months that Israel was walking over to the mountain and God did unbelievable things along the way, not just the, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, he brings water out of a rock that's in the middle of nowhere. Come on. That's pretty exciting. Our God is a big God. You need fresh water in your life? You feel like you're out in the desert and you're about to die because of thirst? Guess what? Jesus Christ says that he is there. He is the water life, isn't he? He's given us that promise. And he proved it in the Old Testament. See, these things that we give God praise and we can remember, and it helps us to even walk in our times that we're in right now. I believe we should be more mindful, you know, when we're around each other to proclaim the works of God. As the, as the time draws near especially, right? We need encouragement from each other. Try not to speak, and I would encourage us, try not to speak about your dead flesh. Your flesh is dead, guys. 
don't get around others and talk about the dead flesh and how it feels and, how, and what it thinks of God, like how it portrays and what it feels God is like. Guys, the, the, the flesh is dead. We don't go back to that. We talk about Jesus Christ. We encourage each other. Yeah, we, we share our problems with each other. Absolutely. The Bible says that you come together so we can encourage each other, but don't make that the focus. Praise him. The next one. Verse 2, it says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. There's two emotions that are happening here. He says, be glad, which is be happy, right? Everybody be happy. Because maybe you have that sign in your house. Be happy as a reminder. Rejoice, have joy. Two emotions that he's going off of. Why would he have that? Why would he be able to do that? David's going through, and we're going to learn in a little bit, he's going through where enemies are trying to actually kill him. I don't know if you guys have anybody chasing you down right now that wants to kill you. Maybe somebody you didn't do the roundabout right and they're after you. But who knows? Make sure you do that roundabout right. It's so good to see that he has these emotions because it's of you. He's, he's proclaiming God. I will be glad and rejoice in you. He focuses on God himself. He gives praise and rejoices in God. Is God enough in your life to be able to kneel down and praise him? Is he enough? I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. <laughs> He's not getting what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Let me give you guys a quote from a Bible scholar, Adam Clark. This is what he commented. He's a neat guy. He was back in the early 1900s, right? He says this, and it's a hard-hitting saying, what he had said. He says, Christians, so-called, when they meet, seldom speak about God. Why is this? Because they have nothing to say. Now, we know that's not true. We have plenty to say, but the thing is, is it's on our mind to say it. One of the things I loved about the mission field, and I'm so bad about here, is the mission field makes you always have to walk with him. You're dependent upon him on every step, and that's why I desire it. And I get very lazy here in the States because it's so easy not to have God. I can do things myself. And I'm saying that you guys know, of course you can't, because God's got your health and that. But it's so easy to think that we have it all under control here. And we get distracted, and we get so hung up on our own things. Is God enough in your life? Is he sufficient for you? If he is, praise him, guys. Praise him. If he is sufficient, praise him. The next one he goes on to in that second part of verse 2, he says, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And we talked about this last week about how important that name is. That name is character. We know God because of who he is, his name. David here uses O Most High. Melchizedek is the first one that ever proclaimed to God, O Most High. And David is reiterating here that he is the highest. Okay, There's nothing else that's beyond God. He goes back to his name and he focuses on who he is. He goes after that, that familiar praise that we're used to. And he's not just saying it. In this one he says he's singing it, right? This is that worship that usually we would look at and we would say, yes, I understand that, that praise. That's the praise that I'm familiar with that he declares and he sings of it. Now, I am very appreciative of our worship team. I don't know if you guys know this, but they specifically choose out, which every worship team specifically chooses out the songs they're going to do, but they will go through and they will look at the scriptures we're going to go over so that it coincides with that, which is awesome. But what I like even more is that they make sure that it's going to be praises to God. And I don't know if you guys have known this or have you been looking, but a lot of the worship nowadays, if you go through and you look at the words that are in it, it starts putting man in there a lot. And it starts glorifying man and focusing on man. That's not what praise is supposed to be doing. And so I, I'm so thankful for our worship team because that's what they do. They come together. They want songs that are going to be about God and us getting before him and worshiping him and putting him in his right place. 
in our hearts, right? So good. So next time you see him, say thank you. It's a good thing that we have worship leaders that want and desire for us to be led towards him. And so now David is going to go on, and he's going to start getting more personal in declaring who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And so in verses 3 through 5, you guys read along with me there. It says, When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging the righteousness. Judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, and you have blotted out their name forever and ever. Well, it gets really serious quick, doesn't it? So he goes over and he talks about the current time. And then he goes over in verse 3, he talks about, he declares what will happen to his enemies soon in the future. Verse 4, what he says is that what has happened. If you look at the wording there, it says, for you have maintained my right. So David has already walked through the Lord in remembering what God has maintained in his life. So it's interesting that when he goes there, he's, he's speaking of the encouragement that comes from the past that helps him get through the present. Okay? In verse 5, there's three different things that he declares that the Lord has done. And he also, I mean, he says it in verse 4 too, you have maintained my right. But the other one that he's talking about, what he does with the enemies, is he says, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, and you have blotted out their name forever and ever. So rebuking the nations is basically coming and and speaking truth again. Like saying, no, that is not the way. Rebuking them, bringing them back to what truth is. That's what God has done. He's destroyed the wicked. And you're like, okay, that's a little unsettling. Getting into that part where you're destroying the wicked, we really shouldn't be destroying people. I mean, they have their own way of living, and we'll get into that in a second. That's what's supposed to be done. Not by us. I'm not saying that. That's, That's God's duty, right? You've destroyed the wicked, and then you've blotted out their name forever and ever. It's a sad story. But we'll talk about it also a little bit later. They just, that's what they walked away from. They forsook him. So the question for us, can we deal with our current crisis by turning to what God has done? So will we believe, sorry, will we believe that he'll remain the same? That's a very important thing. As David's going through this, you guys know David walked through a lot. There's even some scholars, what they say about this psalm is that when it says uh, to the tune of death of the son, if you guys look in the title of it, to the death of a son, they were saying that that was actually an old hymn uh, and it was talking about the death of a son, talking about Goliath dying. And so this whole psalm, he changed it in talking about that. I don't know if that's the way it was. Um, It's kind of, you have to move some words around to kind of get that. The point I want to make, though, is that things that happened in David's life before this, that he could trust in the Lord. He was looking back and reflecting that God was for his right. In verse 4, he talks about that. God is for the right. Don't ever think that God is going to stand on the outside and be neutral. Now, some things he will be. I mean, if you're praying about, you know, Broncos win 49ers or 49ers win over the Broncos, he's probably going to be neutral about that. Just saying. Maybe. I know somebody would disagree. But when he's for his right, that's the thing is that God is going to stand up for what's right. So we can even look at wars. You know on wars that there's people praying on both sides, right? You know that there was Nazis that were praying. They were, they were praying that God would do it. Now, I'm not saying that Hitler was or any of that because it was still religion was not a very good thing. But there were people, it's documented, that there even they had prayers. Well, of course, in America here, we're praying as well. The Lord would defeat the enemy. And we know that God stands with righteousness, doesn't he? And we saw that absolutely with Nazis, there was no righteousness going on there. It was disgusting. God stood 
as the people prayed. But the thing is, it wasn't like God came alongside of America or alongside the right or even David. He wasn't coming alongside David because David was right. No, it's because David chose to stand in God's righteousness and God stands for righteousness. That's a very key thing there. God is righteousness, so of course that's who he's going to be with. So whoever sides with him, that's the side he's going to be on, clearly. But don't ever think that he's neutral, like, okay, I'm going to kind of step out of this one for a little bit. You guys figure out how it's going to work out. All these things that you guys are deciding, you know, what's truth and not in America, yeah, I'm going to step out of that one. You guys figure it out. No, we join with God in righteousness, and that's where we stand with him, right? That's what David was doing. So can we trust in him? Can we trust in him because of the things that has been done? And I would go back to and argue, yes, we can because God is the same, right? God is absolutely the same. Malachi 3, 6, and 7, if you want to put that up there. You guys can look at this. This one talks about how the Lord is. He says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, sons of Jacob. And then this other one talks about, or that's verse 7. That's right, we didn't put that up last time. All right. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances, and yet, uh, or, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? And then there's another one over in... Uh, Hebrews 13.8 that talks about Jesus Christ. We got, you guys know this one. You guys have seen this one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We can count on that, guys. So when we read through the scriptures and we see God doing awesome things for Israel, we see him doing awesome, unbelievable things even in the New Testament for believers, you can be guaranteed that God's going to be the same. And so in your life, how are you going to react to that? Is it my life is different all of a sudden? He doesn't really understand my problems. I can't really do it that way because it wasn't the same and he works a little bit different. No, he's absolutely the same. He will do what he's done before. He stands for righteousness. Now let's move on into verses six through eight. And it says, Oh, enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in unrighteousness, or in uprightness. <laughs> Sorry, that's a big difference there. Peoples in uprightness. Uprightness. Now, the first in verse six, it says, "O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities; even their memory has perished." What the what this is is the enemy is boasting in how awesome they were. Okay and how great they were. They completely went in and wiped out whole cities. And here's what would happen. A lot of the times in ancient times, you had your God, and then the cities that you're going against or the nations you're going against, they had their God. You wipe them out, what happens to that God? It gets wiped out as well, right? We don't see Ashereth or, or Baal or some of the other gods that were in these ancient times. Why? Because their nations were wiped out, and those gods were made by men. And so, of course, they would go away. So the whole thought behind an enemy is, your God is nothing because our God triumphs over him and he's going to go away. That's why David says in that next part, he says, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. You're not going to get away from the Almighty God. Just because you just wipe some people out, it's not going to happen. You can boast in saying you did that, but you cannot outrun God. His endurance is a lot better than yours. So David's telling him, don't don't even think because you guys are the enemy. One... One person wrote, after they read this, you know, you go through and, and you start seeing all these, these judgment and, and how God deals with it, what he does with the wicked. And there's a lot of people that have a hard time with that. A lot of hard time that, with God's judgment and, and questioning why does that have to happen. 
uh, as I was going through this and reading the commentary on it, and I don't remember who, which commentary I was reading, but you know, at the end, sometimes you can give your comments on different things on the internet. Well, this comment from a young lady, it was, it was, it was scary. I mean, it was sad, but I think it was a lot of people, and I've heard this from many people too as they read through scriptures like this. She says, it seems rather scary, all this fire and brimstone. It seems to make out that God is very judgmental. And some people will go there. Some people will think, you know what? I can't believe in the God that you believe in because he's so judgmental. That's a huge thing nowadays in our culture. It's become in our culture that it is a sin to say anybody's wrong or wicked. That's a bad thing to do. You don't do that. They're not hurting anybody. You let them live however they need to live. You let them love however they need to love. You stay out of their business, and don't you ever tell them that they're wrong or they're evil. In fact, if I want to go over here and I want to do this to that person, they deserved it. Right? Like, that's how people's mindset has gone. I can go knock that person out, even though they were there, just because of who I think they are. I don't even know them, but I'm going to go do it, and they deserved it because of my past. Or another thing is, hey, I can go, and I can go loot that place because I deserve it because of what my forefathers went through. So pay up, and this is how you're going to pay up. I get to do what I want. People are like, don't go tell them they're wrong. Don't go tell You'll upset them. Don't go tell them they're wrong. Or even, in the worst, you're wicked for doing that. The culture is turning, and it's going to, of course, where it's saying that evil is good and good is evil. And the Lord told us this was going to happen. But it was even going on in these times. It was, you know, the, the, the nations were trying to say that this was a good thing, trying to run over God, but he endures forever. Now, David declares the evil of the enemy in verse 6. I'm thinking they're strong in their ways. And then he goes through in 7, and he says that God's going to outlast them and endure. In the end, he's going to judge the world. In the end, God is going to judge the world, and he's going to set up the upright, isn't he? Because that's who God is. It can only be with him, the Almighty. And that's where his place is. It's not our place. And we'll, we'll hit that in just a little bit, because at the very end, that's what he talks about. Remember, remind men that they're just men. So moving on into verses 9 and 10. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. There are some very key and important words in these verses here. So people like to focus on just God's the bad guy. He's a judge. And I would encourage them, go look at who God is. Who are we to say as men that God does not judge righteously? When we have no idea the situation and anything that's gone on, we do not know what the mind of the person, their motive is behind what they've done. God knows all that stuff. You guys know that, right? So he is worthy to judge, and he's a perfect judge. Sometimes when we think that he's judgmental, it's because we're trying to relate him as if he's a human being with flaws. I guarantee God's judgment and his righteousness is going to prevail, and it's going to be perfect. Something that we're going to sit down and praise him. We're going to say, you're worthy to judge. Just like all the different creatures and the angels said, right? When they're up there, we get that picture into heaven in Revelation. It's a beautiful scene. Well, in verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge. So it goes on. It doesn't talk about the enemies anymore. It talks about the refuge. So not, as, not only is he the judge, but he is our refuge. He is our refuge. Did you guys know that you could not have the one without the other? There has to be judgment to have refuge. If God did not judge, which some people have made up gods throughout the past that didn't really judge, they kind of lived as man lived, right? Did weird things. You guys know the Greek gods, they're, they're weird. But 
you have this whole situation here where God judges and therefore there is refuge in that. He provides refuge for the oppressed. If there was no judgment or justice, that wouldn't exist. And so if there's no justice, then the oppressed, the poor, the downtrodden, they have no hope. The Lord will be a refuge and a tower for the oppressed. Now, an interesting thing here with these words. In verse 9, where it says a refuge in time of trouble, that word trouble there is actually a very rare word in Hebrew. It only happens in this verse and also in verse 1 of chapter 10, where it says, why do you hide in times of trouble? That word trouble there, it's, it's like the deepest, darkest place of despair. Deepest, darkest place of despair. So it's talking about like there is nothing left. You're at your end, it's done, I'm over it. And it says that he's a refuge in your time of trouble. You know, usually when a person goes to the absolute place of despair, where do they end up wanting to do or go? Suicide, right? That's usually when you, when you meet utter despair, when there is no hope at all, all you're saying is, I want out of this, I want to find peace somewhere else, I need to escape. And they want to run. And right now, guys, I hope that you guys are praying for people, especially our youth. As we get to deal with it, guys, there are so many youth that are faced with this, this utter despair. It is a sad thing that's happening right now. And you guys know there's adults that have been taking their lives. Even one of my neighbors just took his life a couple months ago. A young guy. Crazy. And people around us, maybe you know somebody personally. I'm sorry you guys have gone through that horrible experience. Guys, there's a place right now that the enemy is in people's heads and he's lying to them and he's saying, yeah, you're right. The only way you're going to find peace anymore is if you end your life. Get out of here. They go to this utter place of despair and they forget that God is their refuge, that they absolutely can trust in him. He is our refuge. Encourage those and especially pray for those that are going through right now. I think that things are going to get a little bit harder. I would go off of that because that's what the scripture says to us. As the time draws near, it's going to get harder. And guess what? It's going to get hard for us as believers. It's promised to us. There is suffering to come, guys. How are we going to deal with it? We have to return. We have to escape and go to that place of refuge. And this is important, so important in verse 10, what it says here. And it says, and to those who know your name will put their trust in you. You have to know God to be able to put your trust in him, right? How many of you guys trust anybody as you walk up to them and you're like, hey, I want to give you 100 bucks because I trust you so much. You're a good guy. Or let's, let's put it more practical. Let's say you want to get a bathroom done in your house, okay? You're like, sweet, Craigslist. Well, this guy says he knows what he's doing. He's, he's got 25 years experience, right, in putting toilets in. He can do my shower. All right, call him up. He shows up right on time. I mean, this guy's awesome. Already on time, you know? Okay, let's do this. And he goes, okay, I need, uh, I need 10 grand up front. You're like, what? Yeah, I got to go buy all the materials, and there's like all these permits I got to pull, and, and I, I, I got to have 10 grand to do this. You're like, okay, yeah. Why not? I got you off Craigslist. What was your name again? You give it to him, right? And he never shows up again. I, I hope you guys haven't done that. I'm not trying to poke fun of you if you have, but I mean, you don't do that, right? You don't do that. You, you want to know somebody. You want to go and figure out their background. What have you been through? I want to talk to somebody else that knows that you actually showed up after they gave you money for the supplies, right? Like, I'm going to go through this. We're going to walk through this. I need to know you so I can trust you. Well, the same is with God. We get to know him so we trust in him. 
So that's why David, he's saying, and those who know your name, they'll put their trust in you. Some people will say, hold on a second. You know what? I used to trust in the Lord, and then he forsook me. I went through a horrible loss. I went through a crisis in my life, and I called out to him so many times, and he never answered me. He forsook me, and therefore, I did know God, and I no longer trust him. That's a hard place to be. It really is, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. But I would challenge you in this next part of this verse. And look at what the scripture says. You know, it says we know him and we'll go to him in a refuge. And then it says, in the second part, it says, For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That second part is so important. God, it's a promise. He doesn't forsake you. He does not forsake you. But there's an important part that still has us included in the equation. It says, who seek you. See, what happens is as soon as a crisis, as soon as a hard time in our life comes, as soon as it seems like God has run away from us, we automatically will start blaming, we'll start looking into his character and start applying things that do not apply to his character. We'll give him characteristics that are not true. The enemy is right there to throw some lies into our head on, yeah, your God does not like you. He doesn't care. You think he cares about you when he's got the whole universe to care about. Remember these things that you did, these sins? Why wouldn't he walk away from you? And it goes on and on, and the lies are just delivered over and over. And at first, you're hard against them. You're like, no, I'm not going to believe them. My God is good. He's so good. My parents, uh, uh, the Bible, the church, the pastor, they've said he's good. I'm going to rest in that. And it's over and over, beat, beat, beat. And there's no application of Scripture anymore. It starts going away. It starts getting tiring to go there because I expect certain things from God. I expect him to do this for me. And every time I go to the Word, he's not doing what I'm wanting him to do. He's forsaken me. And it goes on, and it starts slowly, slips away, till we find our, ourselves in a place where we've actually forsook him. And we turn around and we say, you forsook me, God. In my time of need, and we have no idea, we don't want to apply it to ourselves because that means change needs to come from us. If we say, we forsook God, I'm wrong then, and I need to get back with him. And this verse is saying, guys, he doesn't do it. God is not the one that ever forsakes. You guys have to know that promise. David is declaring this, and David went through horrible times in his life. And he's declaring this, you have not forsook, and he says, those who seek after you. I encourage you guys, if you feel like God's forsaken you this morning and he's walked away from you, return to seeking after him. Go seek after him, please. He wants that relationship, guys. And if you don't think he doesn't, he gave his son saying, I want that relationship with you. Here is my son. I'm willing to sacrifice so I can have that relationship with you. How does that not shout that he wants that? How does that not proclaim from the mountaintops that that's what he desires to have with us? He's proven it. How have we proven it? By over and over again demanding things from him and telling him what we want. Listen to what David has to say there. And then he goes on and he gets very personal in the next part. Well, no, actually, I, in verse 13 he gets personal. But what he's going to go on, he's going to start saying, I sing praises to the Lord. So he comes right out of that and he says, those who seek you. In verse 11 and 12, he says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And so he goes on and he's saying, guys, we need to praise God and we need to go back to who he is and what he's done, his deeds. Whenever you find yourself in despair, you're downtrodden, you have a horrible time going on in your life, and guys, it might happen this next year or the years after, okay? 
You guys have to remember, go back to this, proclaim, remember what God has done already in your life. Remember who he is. And David goes on and he sings praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion, declares his deeds. And then he says that God avenges the blood, right? He avenges blood. He remembers them. He does not forget to cry, the cry of the humble. This is very important. God does not forget what's done in the darkness. He does not forget what evils have been done against you. He may have not acted on it right then and rescued you or whatever happened in that situation in that exact time, but he will. These scriptures are very clear. He will deal with that. We know with Cain and Abel what happened there. You know, in, in uh, what verses did I, I had it up there? Let me see. Which one was it? Uh, Genesis, right? Chris? Do you have that one up there? All right. So this is what it's saying. It says, and he said, what have you done? He's talking to uh, Cain, right? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So God will come back. He will deal with what's happening. That blood that is spilled, Cain thought he got away with it, right? God will deal with it. There's also another scripture in, in that Nabal, which was another one that was unjustly killed, he also comes back. And that's this scripture right here talking about how God will come and deal with what's happened there. God is just. He will deal with those things. And I would encourage that we would look at that and know that God's going to deal with those things in our lives and other people's lives. Now, I don't know why things have happened the way they have. Some of the hardest conversations I've ever had is with somebody that has a past, and I'm trying to share Jesus Christ with them. I want to tell them of the love that he has for them, and he wants to be there, all these things for them. And you're talking to them, and they tell you, you know, when I was a little kid, my stepdad or whoever used to come and do horrible things. He used to beat me all the time. And you know what? I'd cry out to God during those times. And not once did God ever answer my call. Therefore, there is no God, and I don't believe there is a God. I don't know if you guys have run into those conversations or even had that same thought in your head because that's happened to you. It's a horrible thing that's happened. I'm so sorry those things would even happen, that humans are disgusting in that way. And as you cried out to God and he didn't answer in that place because that's how you want it, you have to know God is going to avenge what's happened to you. He will deal with it, and it's going to be done in the most perfect way you could ever know because he's a perfect God and he has the most perfect timing. And although in that situation you have to go through and you're like, well, why did it have to happen so many times? Why didn't he just you know, give them a stroke or something so they could never touch me again? I don't know. That's God's dealing. All I can say is that God is so perfect and he knows exactly how to run things and he knows what to do. And you can't run away from him and not seek after him because of those horrible things that human beings have done for you, to you. You have to rest in who he is and that he will avenge in what's happened. Be careful not to let your feelings become a roadblock to you. We must find refuge in seeking him and knowing him. Going on, David gets a little bit more personal. He talks about himself. He says in verse 13, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from these who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. Beautiful thing that he does here, he talks about these two gates here, but he first starts out, and you have to understand David's heart behind this, and I, I like this, because David is not going out there and he's like, hey, God, kill all the animals, enemies, destroy everybody, I hate everybody. Everybody's done me wrong, go get, go get even, avenge me, right? Now David was saying, in your righteousness, God, you will not allow that to happen, you will not allow them to escape your judgment because he was speaking about who God is. Remember, the praise is on God. It's not about David telling God what he needs to go do. 
It's about remembering who God is. And he goes on and he says, have mercy on me because David remembers, you know what? I'm a sinner too. I am messed up as well. (laughs) He's not like, hey, I'm this perfect person out there telling you need to go after all these enemies. He's like, no, have mercy on me too, Lord. Have mercy on me, oh Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me and who lift up or lift me up from the gates of death. He feels like he's in this place of death, right? These gates of death, or even he's led himself there, which we have. And so he says that contrast there, and then he says that I may tell of your praise. So here's a work of God happening, right? I'm gonna praise God because of the work he's doing, and I may tell your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. It switches to these other beautiful gates, and I will rejoice in your salvation. Verses 15 and 16, it says, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made in the net, or sorry, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in his work of his own hands. Meditation. Now, as you go through this part, it's an interesting part that uh, David actually wants you to stop and meditate on. You guys know that this word selah, if you have it there in your Bible, off to the right side, as you go through the Psalms, every time it has Selah, it's like a pause, all right? And so I want you to pause and think about it. But David actually put in this verse, he says meditation, or uh, in the, I believe it's in the Hebrew, he says uh, Higion, or Hig Aeon. Um, probably didn't pronounce that right at all, sorry. But it means meditate, or what it's saying is meditate on this or mark it well. So he just went through and talked about what happens with the enemy. What happens with the enemy? The enemy thinks they're so clever and they're going to set up this little snare and it ends up that they get themselves in it. I mean, could you guys imagine, okay, you're out there, you set up this bear trap, because I know you guys do that all the time. So you're setting up your bear trap, and you turn around, and you're like looking for something, you dropped, and you step right in the bear trap. Probably be called an idiot, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we, we would laugh, right? Be a crazy story. Well, that's what the wicked do. They set up these traps trying to ensnare those of us that are with Jesus Christ, and it ends up that they catch themselves in it. Adam Clark, that same guy, what he says, and I believe he says it better than I can, he says, there is nothing that a wicked man does that is not against his own interest. There is nothing that a wicked man does that is not against his own interest. He is continually doing himself harm. You guys know, when we walked away from the Lord, when we didn't have anything to do with him, continually we were putting harm in our life, weren't we? We are always making it worse than it needed to be. That's what happens. If you don't want the will of God, you're gonna go with your own will, Guess what? Over and over again. It's just like you're stepping right in that bear trap again. And not only that, you have your flesh to combat, you have the world, and then the enemy's setting traps there for you too. Don't walk away from the Lord. Walk with him. And that's why David is saying, you guys, listen to this. Meditate on this. Stop and take a second. The Lord is known by his judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. God is going to take care of it. He's going to take care of the problems. Verse 17 and 18. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. So he tells what happens is going to happen to the evil, and he goes on and talks about what's going to happen to the righteous, doesn't he? And he gets very serious about it and down to the point, and he says, you know where the wicked are going to go? They're going to hell. Not sugar-coated or anything. Jesus, he spoke of hell a lot, didn't he? That wasn't so he could scare everybody and say, this is what you deserve. I hope you go to hell. That wasn't what his ministry was about. He was there to love and to, to die for us, so we didn't have to go there, right? The message has to be taught that there is a hell to tell people that's where you're deciding you want to go. If you want nothing to do with the Lord, that's where you want to go. And what does it say? It says, and all the nations that forget God. What a horrible place to be in when you forget God. Our nation is slowly getting there, isn't it? 
They're slowly forgetting God. It's a tragedy. And look what happens when your nation starts forgetting God. We have history we can look back on and see these other nations that were unbelievable and what they did for the Lord and the missionaries they sent out. And look at them now. They're forgetting God. But in verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. Anything's happened in your guys' life, the horrible things, the sad things, the bad things, the crises, the loss you've endured, you're not forgotten, okay? Don't let the enemy come in there and say you guys have been forgotten. God knows exactly what's going on. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. These expectations that you guys have, because they're based on the promises of God, he's going to fulfill them, guys. That's his promise. That's what David is saying here. The worship team will come up, and we'll go over these last two verses here. Verses 19 and 20, David really calls man out in this. He says, Arise, O Lord. Again, that covenant God, right? L-O-R-D, capitalized, Yahweh. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. That's what happens when man goes off and he thinks he's doing all these success stories and he's got it going on. He has all these things. He starts believing that he's something other than man and that he can come to God and he can question, he can tell, he can decide whether God exists or not. And he says, he calls out on God, says, don't let man prevail, which God's not. God's not gonna let man prevail, right? Let the nations be judged in your sight. Guys, everything that's going on with our nation right now all the crazy stuff that's in the background, the things that we don't even know about. Some of the saddest stuff that I, I think that's the worst part of it is all this human trafficking that's coming out on these sickos. These men have put themselves outside. These men and women have put themselves out of, outside of what a man is. They think they're more than that. It's a sad place that they've taken themselves that they feel that it's okay to use other people the way that they do now. People will do that with power, won't they? as they separate and divorce themselves from God and they go and play the harlot with everything else, that's what's gonna happen. It happened over and over again we see it in the Old Testament. It's happening today in our nation. God's not gonna let it happen. He's gonna call them out. David says, and I think this is a great prayer for us. You guys wanna pray a great prayer for our nation and the people and it says, put them in fear, O Lord. They come back and have that reverence for you. That's what's gonna change. Put them in the fear. It's not about getting somebody else in there that we think will do a better job. It's about getting God back in there. That's what needs to happen. That the nations may know themselves to be but men, to remember that God is the one that's absolute control. So as you guys go on in this week, and this, this whole year, remember what we have, these praises that David's giving. Remember, as you guys go through those hard times, those crises, you guys might suffer loss. I hope you don't, but it does happen in life. Do not follow that tragedy and do not get into those things to where you've gotten yourself in a roadblock because of the feelings that you have. Don't let the enemy come in and interrupt and say these lies about who God is. Search the scriptures out and understand who he is. Let him come to your rescue. Go to him as your refuge. Seek after God. Don't stop seeking after him. And remember that we praise him because of who he is, because of what he's done and what he's going to do, right? Amen? Lord, we love you and thank you so much that we have such great scriptures like this that you bring and put in front of our faces that we can come and celebrate who you are and your character, what you're gonna do, that nothing goes unseen and you are gonna deal with every evil in your time. Lord, I pray we'd be patient with what you have and what your timing is, Lord. I pray that the same thing that we just say exactly what David, put them in the fear of you, please. And we know you're gonna do that. You have some awesome things in line. The things that we read about are pretty scary. 
what you're gonna do, but I pray that they would not turn against you, that they would put their fear back into you, Lord, please. And that they would know that they're just mere men. They have no power. Lord, bring everything that's been and done in darkness, bring it to light, Lord, in our nation. These horrible things that have happened with these kids and all, this all the darkness that's happened, Lord, everything that's been there, Lord, I pray you bring it to light. Justice would be served, Lord. People will come to you that there be an awesome revival, just a celebration of you, who you are in our lives, Lord. And I pray that it would happen in our own hearts. Pray for everybody as they go throughout this year, Lord, that they remember these things. Remember just to continue to praise you in those hard times when they face hard things. And Lord, when we have those good times too, that we remember that it was because of you and you're pouring out your blessings. And we do want to just praise you this morning and love you so much, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.